Good morning, Westgate. How's everybody doing? Will you stand and let's worship together? Ephesians 2, starting in verse 4, says, But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. Amen. Yes. All because of Jesus, we are alive.
Lord worshiping together. Go ahead and have a seat. Good morning, Westgate. We are so glad that you have chosen to worship with us this morning. My name is Julie, and I'm on the worship team here at Westgate. Thanks so much for joining us. If you are a guest, we are especially excited that you are here. We hope you will find Westgate, a place where you can easily and deeply get connected into relationships that will help you grow deeper in your relationship with Jesus. One of the first steps to getting connected to the life of our church is to fill out a connect card. You'll find it in the pew in front of you. Take a moment to fill that out and at the end of the service, head out to the main entrance and to our guest center where there's a host who has some simple information about how to get connected at Westgate along with a small gift just to say thanks for being here. Even if you've been attending Westgate for a while, we'd love to invite you to fill out the connect card family each week. You can drop your card in the offering bucket when it's passed later in the service. As a reminder, you can also find the Connect card on our Westgate app, along with sermon notes and information on all the different things that are happening around the church. Be sure to check the app often as it's the best place to stay connected with Westgate. Up next, a very important reminder. Check this out. The clock is ticking. Today is the deadline to register for VBS taking place June 12th through 16th, 9 a.m. to 12.30 p.m. Kids entering kindergarten through entering sixth grade are invited to join us for an epic adventure at Twists and Turns. It's time to crank up the excitement and play to win as we learn that following Jesus can truly change the game. It's your turn. Make your move and check out the Westgate app or westgatechapel.org slash events to register. But even if you or a friend miss the deadline, no worries. You will still be able to register in person. On we can't wait to see what God does during this incredible week. This morning, we're continuing our series, Who Do You Say I Am? A study in the book of Mark. It's going to be an awesome time of worship together. So let's get the morning kicked off, stand up, and greet the people around you.
opposites those characterizations there you got a lion who's fierce right and you have the lamb who's gentle that's who our God is amen you believe that that he is everything he is all things to all people at all times that is who God is he's omniscient he is omnipresent he is here he's with us 
He is passionate. He is gentle. He is kind. He is fierce. God is a jealous God. So what his word tells us. And as we continue to worship this morning, I want us to think about what that means in our own lives. God, if God is everything, we should be putting our faith in him each and every day, right? We should be putting our trust in him. I want everyone just to bow their heads for a moment. Just to get real thoughtful here. I want to ask you, I want you to be real honest with yourselves. Is the God we just described, is he truly the God of everything? Is he your foundation? with yourself. You don't have to say it out loud. I want you to think, is God truly your foundation? Is he the rock you're building upon? Are you building upon things of this world? Are you being held up by your job, by your friends, by your family? Are you being held up by the rock? Because we come here, we declare it together. We sing songs about God being worthy of all of our praise. By giving our lives to him, but are we truly living that out each and every day? That's what it's about. So ask yourself, really be honest with yourselves. Is that where, we're, where you are today? to do something together as one body can we just declare together God take control say, say it out loud God take control say it again God take control I promise the more you say that the more it becomes reality the more you live that the more you declare that the more it becomes reality the more it begins to take shape and take root in your life And that's what's so hard is to give God control. We want control. But let's say it again together. God, take control. So we sing this next song. Please let this be your prayer. Let this be your cry. Whatever posture worship you want us to take, whether it's coming kneeling at the altar here, whether it's singing in the pew and, seat, and sitting and praying and talking to God, whether it's raising your hands and surrender and then let this song be your prayer
Father. You are so holy. We're just, we stand in awe of you this morning. I'm amazed at how vast you are, at how endless your character is. And the fact that, that you don't withhold any of yourself from us. We get access to however much of you and your provision and who you are. We get as, as much access as we desire. So Lord, just would you fan the flame of desire in our hearts for you? Would you just squelter anything that would distract us from wanting more of you. Lord, I thank you that, that you are our firm foundation and that you're not only constant and endless and vast, but um, you just, you never change. And, and our trust and our faith and our hope is well-placed in you because of who you are. Lord, I pray this morning that you would show us more of who you are through the words that you've placed in Randy's heart to share this morning. Give us ears to hear. May we leave knowing you even better. In your name we pray, amen. As we continue in worship this morning, those of you on the center aisle, if you would take those um, offering buckets and pass those out, we'll um, continue in the act of giving. Thank you so much. Actually, I had messaged Adam. I said, I need 45 minutes, but I, I typoed. I meant hour and 45. <clears throat> no. Welcome, everyone. I would like to, I just, I don't know about you guys, but I think this praise team just connected us to the throne room of Christ. Would you just give them a round of applause? <clears throat> I really just connected. I had to sit down. Uh, just... God's got a lot on my heart, and I can't wait to get it out to you guys. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to speed things up. I'm going to talk like an auctioneer, so you've got to listen fast, all right? <laughs> my name's Randy Fall, and I'm a care pastor here at Westgate Chapel. been a member since 2002, I think it was, somewhere in that area. And I've watched a lot of your babies, or now adults having babies. It's just amazing seeing, <clears throat> seeing all you guys in the babies are now having babies. It's just amazing. Uh, some people who know me would say I'm pretty passionate. I have a passion for shepherding people of all ages so that they could fulfill their part in the Great Commission. My objective is similar today from this pulpit. I want you all to join me as we walk together through the scriptures. My style of pulpit ministry is not like many others. My wife, Robin, says, I'm not a preacher, you're a teacher. 
Maybe I am. Maybe she's right. Maybe she's not. I don't know. All I know is that when I get into the word of God, it changes my heart. He shapes me and he molds me. And I want you to experience what I experience every time I get into here. So I can't not get into his word. I cannot not feed on his word because it just changes me. It fills me and strengthens me. And I want you to experience that this morning. We got a lot of text to cover, but I think we can do this. We've been traveling through the Who Do You Say I Am series, and we've been exploring the Gospel of Mark. And I'm noticing something that maybe you have noticed too over the last few many weeks, is that Jesus is discipling men. He's training them for effective ministry to come. Jesus gives them direction. He models his trust in God. Has there been a time when you've listened to instructions, walked away not fully understanding what was just asked of you, or you didn't actually hear what was said? On the other hand, maybe you were given instructions and walked away not entirely understanding what was just asked of you. Some of us here experience short-term memory issues. Am I alone here, or is it some of us, you walk into a room, whoa, uh, <laughs> Daily, I hear instructions. Uh, it's part of my job. Uh, I think all of you guys get instructions every day. On occasion, when I get tired, hungry, and busy, listening is a bit of a struggle. Sometimes people will give me instructions, and as soon as they depart from me, I'm slightly panicked because I can't remember exactly what was just asked of me. That's why it's important, and I had my email up there, Randy F. at Westgate Chapels. If you tell me something in mid-stride, chances are it's going to get dropped off the side because I'm already on three things at once. So emailing me for any concerns, cares, or whatever is the best way to get a hold of me. Or you can call the office and they'll patch you in. Um, when you open up the, your phone and you dial the church phone number, the message comes. You can, if you know their extension, you can actually just dial in their extension and get right to the person you're looking for if they give you their extension number. Mine's 1022. It's that easy. Feel free to call. If you'd like, leave me a message because I want to care properly. I want to shepherd as many people as possible while you're doing the work of the ministry. So listen, I have a short story illustrating the importance of listening carefully. A man was in a Volkswagen going down the freeway, and in front of him was a truck hauling pigs. The man in the Volkswagen noticed that one of the pigs fell out of the truck ahead of him. So this man stopped, picked up the pig. The man struggles, but eventually gets the pig into his car. The man speeds up to catch the truck and return the pig to its owner. Well, the Volkswagen was going pretty fast, and right behind him was a police officer with his sirens on. So the man in the Volkswagen stops off the side of the road. The police officer steps out of his car, and he walks up to the Volkswagen. The man rolls down his window. The officer says, where are you going in such a hurry. This pig fell out of the truck, he says, and I'm trying to catch up to it to return it to its owner. It's the right thing to do. The police officer says, you can't catch that truck. You would break all the speed laws we have in this county. What you need to do is take that pig to the zoo. That's right, take that pig to the zoo. So the Volkswagen man said he would take that pig to the zoo. Well, the next day, the officer was on patrol, cruising down the freeway and saw that Volkswagen again. 
It was the man, he said, to take the pig to the zoo. So the police officer pulled the man over again, and he said to the man, I thought I told you to take that pig to the zoo. So the man in the Volkswagen said to the police officer, I did, and we had such a good time, now we're going to the beach today. <laughs> what do you hear? <laughs> How can you not laugh at that? You online folks, did you hear that? <laughs> Jesus has the power to provide. That's the title of my message. Jesus, the power to provide. Who do you say God is? He's the power. Jesus is the power to provide. He's our compassionate shepherd, amen? It's a busy book, this, uh, the Gospel of Mark, fast-paced. Isn't our culture becoming fast-paced? I need it now kind of culture. I need it my way. I need it right now. Please, just give me the highlights. Many of us struggle to read thoroughly through materials. I listened to some of the younger people, and I thought this was a good one. They get a new watch, and their alarm goes off, and they says, I don't know how to turn it off <laughs> because they haven't read the instructions. But uh, I know I'm guilty of skimming. Sometimes I skim through websites, books, magazines. I just get, get to the top of the, the article or get what it says just to see if I want to open it up to dig further because there's so much information available for all of us, isn't there? You know, from cooking to how to build or whatever it is. Mark details facts without much background. He's kind of going really fast through as he goes and he takes us through and recognizes Jesus is a servant of God. And he takes us from ministry event to ministry event to ministry event without much background, right? But in Mark chapter 5, where Rob left off, there's actually quite a bit that we need to catch us up so we can still see who Jesus is. Who do you say that he is? Is he's the healer and he's healing people. In chapter 5, the daughter of Jairus is near death, and Jairus pleads for Jesus to heal her. Jesus is on his way to Jairus' house. Mark records that the crowds came crushing up on him, pushing along him, body to body, bumping into Jesus as he walks. And as he's on his way to serve someone, Jairus' daughter, a woman appears in the story with a long-time medical issue. She has been suffering from, from bleeding for 12 years. She spent a lot of money with no solutions to the doctors of that day. Yet she had heard about the healing power of Jesus. She thought to herself, if I could just touch the fringe of his robe, she could be healed. What incredible faith that is in our provider, in our God, our Jesus. Do we have faith like this woman? Mark writes this incredible fact. The bleeding stopped immediately and she could feel that she had been healed. Mark's favorite word in the Gospel of Mark from chapter 1 to the end of the book, 16, immediately, immediately, immediately. And he says it here. Jesus immediately realized the healing power had gone out from him. So he turns and he asks those in earshot, who touched me? <laughs> the disciples asked the question I would have asked. They said, all this crowd is around pressing you and you ask who touched you? Everything that is written in this book, though, is for our learning, isn't it, Right? Everything is written, every jot and tittle. Mark writes this letter to let us know of the, the power of Jesus and the power that true faith can provide. This woman's faith, 
Faith is written for us to learn that Jesus is our provider. He is the healer. Jesus told a woman, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your affliction. Afterward, Mark takes us uh, briefly of the story of Jesus ministering in his hometown. Has anyone here ever experienced what it's like to minister to your family and then be rejected? Yeah, it's a real deal. They push back because they know what you were like before you became born again into the kingdom of heaven. You're a changed person, Paul says. He says, you're a new creation in Christ Jesus. Many people don't remember that part because they don't know what you know. They just see that you're radically different and it's putting pressure on me. So they back off and they reject you. Well, you're in good company. Jesus is rejected in his own hometown. He was teaching in the synagogue and those that heard him were astonished at how well he taught. They began to mock him. Isn't this just the carpenter, the son of Mary? Jesus has the wisdom to know and share with his disciples that when we minister, a prophet is honored everywhere except in his hometown among his relatives. So why couldn't Jesus do many miracles in his own hometown? He only healed a few. I submit to you guys, based on what we've already covered, unbelief. We simply don't believe Jesus is who he says he is. And that's our biggest hiccup as we walk in our walks with Christ. We don't trust him that he's going to provide. We don't trust that he's going to heal. We don't trust that he's going to give us a word. Unbelief. That's a word for someone in this room. Maybe not all of us, but some. Then we enter into chapter 6. The disciples are sent onto a ministry journey, a missionary journey, excuse me, sending The sending of the 12 is now the next step in ministry. They have been in training all this time, and now Jesus says it's game time. He sends them in pairs because it's always good to serve together. And notice that he gives them the authority to do so. If you read Mark chapter 6 like you were encouraged to do last week, you would have noticed that Jesus sends the men with some instructions. He creates an opportunity to experience complete dependence on God. Don't bring anything but a walking stick. Well, how many of us here have experienced the provisions of God when we had no idea how he was going to provide for us? All of a sudden, check comes in right on time. A healing came. An interruption took place because if you would have not been interrupted, a car accident could have happened. You never know. God is aware of things that are going on and he's been providing and sometimes we're not even aware But when he sent these guys out with nothing but a walking stick, this could have been very scary for us, right? Why? Because we live in a prepared culture. We're a prepper, prepper society for most of us. I need not only one roll of toilet paper, I need eight packages of toilet paper. Remember that? So many times God provision of what we lack came in at just the right time for my wife Robin and I. He just keeps using those things to increase our faith when we start to doubt. It's a fearful thing to trust in God alone for provision, though. We do a great job in our culture having things available for those just-in-case scenarios, don't we? It's really hard for us in our culture to depend on God because we can buy it ourselves for the most place. We are so, so rich in so many ways. 
He tells them to stay at one house until it's time to leave. If a village will not welcome you or listen to you, shake the dust off your feet. Why? What does that mean? Because it is a sign that you have abandoned that village to its fate. Listen, God has given you the freedom to reject him if you want. But you are not free of the consequences of rejecting him. The shaking off of the dust is a picture for those who reject the truth. And that decision to reject God, that's on you. That may be a word for someone here or online. That's a word. It's your choice to reject him or not to reject him. That's on you. If you will, picture that you're in an ocean with nothing to help you float. Someone offers you a life preserver and you reject it. There are soon coming consequences with that rejection. You're going to drown. You can't float forever. You will die. When you reject Jesus, you reject the only true life preserver, if you will. Jesus is the only source of salvation. Here's a memory verse for you guys. It's in Hebrews. I'm going to let you find it. There is no other salvation available. Salvation is found in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. That's a truth. That's a life preserver. So the disciples went out from there telling everyone they met to repent of their sins and turn to God. What a message. These men were able to cast out many demons and heal many sick people by anointing them with oil. Now things get interesting, though. As you're reading through the chapter 5 and in the lower parts of 6, you're going, all of a sudden, Mark, at chapter 10, he, starts tell, he inserted the story, excuse me, of John the Baptist. Here we are experiencing the missionary journey, and then all of a sudden, here's John the Baptist, and then we're going to go back into the missionary story. And I was asking myself, God, why is that placed in this spot? So I have a couple of reasons. I'm not sure if I know the answer. I wonder if it's able, if it's available to teach the disciples a lesson of this, this is what it could cost you to be found faithful. John the Baptist was faithful. He was serving just like it was called, just like the scripture said. He was faithful. And he lost his head over it. Or could it be he's trying to paint a picture of this Herod's party that he had. He had this banquet and we're about to enter into God's banquet of how he provides. It could be he's trying to you know, look at it from two different perspectives about being provided for. You got the king's banquet, which is immorality at its best, or you got God's provision through his son, Jesus Christ. I'm not sure which it is, but as a Bible teacher, it's something to hang on to and go, God, why is that? And dig in so that you can then work with the Holy Spirit and let him bring some truth to you to help Strengthen your faith. The disciples returned to Jesus. They were missionaries, literally sent on a mission from God. They grouped together with Jesus and told him everything they had done and taught. Remembering their experiences, they were amazed at how demons were submitting to them, uh, to Jesus' name, in Jesus' name. But do you recall what Jesus said to them later on in chapter Mark? You may remember this when he sent out the 72 I thought this was important. He said, do not rejoice that the demons submit to you. Rejoice that your names are recorded in heaven. So, priorities. Jesus is always keeping us focused on what he's trying to do. Remember, he's teaching us. He's discipling. We can learn just as well as the disciples. We can learn from their mistakes. We can learn from their successes. 
But what we must do is be found faithful, be an obedient. So what I did, the words will be on the screen. We're going to read the scriptures that I've been tasked to go over. I got them on the, on the insert so that you can actually circle some words because I've been praying for you guys for a month. I've been praying for God's Holy Spirit to reveal something. He's given me three points. That's what he gave to me. But I know he's going to speak to you guys too. And you're going to be able to circle a word and go, oh, that's me. And then I'm going to expound on some of this in the traditional Bible study way. But I'm going to encourage you to engage with this. Just listen to these words or read along with me. I'm using the ESV so that we use your own Bible, obviously. Circle in your own Bible. I am a big encourager of that. But for reading's sake, I just want to read through the ESV altogether. I'm going to read it. On, it's going to be on the screen as well. Let's dig into verse 30 through 46. The apostles returned to Jesus and told him everything they had done and taught. And he said to them, come away by yourselves to a desolate place and rest a while. For many were coming and going and they had no leisure even to eat. And, and they went away in a boat to a desolate place by themselves. Now many saw them going and recognized them and they ran there on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. When he went ashore, he saw a great crowd and he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And he began to teach them many things. And when it grew late, his disciples came to him and said, this is a desolate place and the hour is now late. Verse 36 says, send them away to go into the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. But he answered them, you give them something to eat. And said to them, shall we go and buy 200 denarii worth of bread and give it to them to eat? And he said to them, well, how many loaves do you have? Go and see. And when they found out, they said, five and two fish. And he commanded them to sit in groups on the green grass Verse 40, so that they sat down in groups by hundreds and fifties and taking the five loaves and two fish, he looked up into heaven and he said a blessing and broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples to set before the people. And he divided the two fish among them all. They all ate and were satisfied. And they took up the 12 baskets full of broken pieces and of, of the fish. And those who ate the loaves were 5,000 men. And then the next two verses Immediately, he made his disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side, to Bethsaida, where he dismissed the crowd. And after he had taken leave of them, he went up to the mountain to pray. Let's stop there. Let's pray. Father, as always, we come before you whenever we dig into your scriptures because we recognize our great need for your understanding that comes from your Holy Spirit. So we are asking, Lord, once again today that you would open our spiritual ears and eyes and give us, Lord God, a heart to receive truth today. We pray that you will fill us with understanding, that you will fill us with hope, and that you will help us. Lord, take this word and be found faithful working it out in our lives. Father, would you come? Jesus, would you move among us? Holy Spirit, teach us to worship in spirit and in truth. And I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, all that, that was just the introduction. Now let's dig in. Do you feel like you're caught up now? We're in the story. We're kind of like there right now. That's, that was my desire is that we're right there. And okay, what's going on here? 
Jesus fully knows that the disciples are experiencing this incredible ministry journey. However, I can see him interrupting them, guys, and say, hold on, guys, hold on. Slow down, come with me, and let's go to a secluded place and rest a while. When the disciples, they were super excited to share with Jesus what they experienced. Jesus, who was fully aware of what was truly needed after a mission trip like this, told them to get away by themselves. Although it didn't look like the surrounding chaos would stop, Jesus suddenly suggested that they get out into this area and get out of this area and find some rest. So right out of the gate, we see Jesus and his wisdom. With these men, they returned. Jesus knew they needed time for rest. Isn't it just like our God to know what people need? That's a word for someone here today. Don't you realize he's fully aware of what we need? Jesus knows us so well. He knows when to work and when to rest. He knows the importance of hard work better than anyone. And the idea, I believe here, is not let's go have a fun vacation time for this rest. The idea, I believe, Jesus has in mind is that they go with him. With him. I wrote that twice in my notes. Jesus is our true rest. It's not about the spot or the quietness or whatever it is. I think the connection here that Mark's trying to bring out is rest in him. You may remember the verse found in the Gospel of John where Jesus said, I must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. The night is coming when no one can work. Many of us know that we are most effective at our jobs when we also take the proper time to rest. Balance in ministry is necessary. However, many here today have experienced God. How many here today have experienced God shutting your body down to where all of a sudden there was no choice of yours? You have to stop. Been there, done that too. I recently went through a bout of shingles. I believe God allowed the shingles to help me to rest because I won't rest in and of myself. Now, I'm not saying that's his principle or biblical principle that you can count on. What I'm saying is when I'm asking him, why shingles? Why now? I'm in the middle of something. He said, rest. Well, I couldn't get there on my own. I got a phone call from Pastor Rob to check on me. I don't know if he knows it or not, but he was used by God because he gave me an encouraging word and he gave me, it's okay. Forget about work for a while and rest. It's almost like the boss gave you permission to rest. Then I can let it down and I just laid there and I rest. So I rested. Now I'm on the other side of it. Well, the disciples, they get in the boat, they get in, they head towards the resting place. But what happens next? The crowd sees them when these men enter the boat and they start going and the crowd started running on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. Imagine, if you will, these crowds watching the boat along the shore. I have to ask myself this question. Why are all these people here? Where are they going? Well, in John chapter 6, we hear a story of this same thing. It was getting close to Passover. So there's people coming from different towns and everything to celebrate in Jerusalem the Passover. Disciples, remember, they're tired. They're headed toward a desolate place, maybe not knowing the crowd's following. They head to the shore. And Jesus says the great to this, what did he respond to this great crowd? And this must have just blown their minds when he went ashore 
He saw a great crowd. This crowd got there ahead of them, and he had compassion on them. These guys thought for sure they were getting ready to go to rest. That's our first truth for those that are taking notes. Jesus was moved with compassion. Here they are on their way to go rest, and then they just get interrupted. That happens a lot in ministry. If you've been in ministry at least for 10 minutes, you recognize that you get interrupted quite a bit. That's what we're here to do. So it's a constant reminder of our dependence on God. These men were tired, hungry. Jesus saw them and was moved with compassion. Jesus gets out of the boat to minister to the people. Remember this. This is a point for Bible study scholars to remember. When you see something written about Jesus, explaining how he sees people or how he responds to people, this is an illustration of the very heart of God. I want you to remember that. When you read something about that, you're reading, it says, well, I don't know who God is or what he's doing or why is he doing this. Read the scriptures, and I'm telling you, you'll find the very heart of God. But you have to get in here and study. Don't ever assume Jesus isn't aware of our situations. In the life of ministry, wouldn't you agree that there are some needy people who come across your path? I found, and I've said this before, that I'm a misfit magnet. And what do I mean by that? There are people God brings into my path. They just don't fit into our society. Matter of fact, I think my daughter's into that same spot too. Because God's given us a gift, and I recognize it. It's a gift of empathy. Do you guys know what empathy is? The ability to identify with or understand another situation or the feelings that they may be experiencing. This is truly a gift from God, and I recognize it because I was probably one of the most selfish people I know before Christ. It was all about me and my kingdom. I knew in my early years that when God changed me, this was a gift from God. I recognized it. So I want to use it, and I want to be able to connect people to Jesus. Because a lot of times you get questions or people in scenarios where they can't, there's no physical answer. I don't know what the answer is. We've got to trust God, right? So we ask God through prayer, and then together we trust and do what he says to do. Well, I don't know what he's saying to do. Well, first of all, you know that you're supposed to love God and love others. So how are you practicing that? How are you discipling others? You're fulfilling the Great Commission, remember? That's been our assignment. That's our vision statement, to go and make disciples. Remember, these disciples were tired and hungry. How do we act when we are tired and hungry? Mark is bringing out for us by the Holy Spirit that we should see people the way that Jesus sees people. He is moved with compassion. He knows the needs of the crowds. Jesus sees each face in the crowd. Each face represented a human being in need of food and healing. Jesus is hugely others-focused. He cares more for others than his own needs, it appears in our text. So how do we see ministry opportunities that come at what we think is an appropriate time? How do we respond? Probably like the disciples. I'll bet many of us are weak in this area. Lord, help us, strengthen us when we see uh, that we're weak. But our truth number two this is how Jesus saw the crowds as sheep without a shepherd. Jesus saw the crowds as sheep without a shepherd. 
Jesus knows that sheep that do not have the proper guidance and care that a shepherd can provide puts the sheep in great danger. Sheep do not fend off predators well at all. They lack the skill of finding food and water. Did you know that? So when the author of our gospel states that Jesus was moved with compassion, he was just that, what that statement means. He felt compassion for the people in the crowds because he realized their urgent demands were motivated by severe needs. I've never tended real sheep. However, in the Bible, there's a story of a shepherd that knew all the ins and outs of shepherding the sheep. Do you guys remember David? He later became a king of Israel and wrote all about his relationship with God and likened God to his shepherd. I'm reminded of Psalm 23, and it should be on the screen. I'm going to read the first four verses. Listen to this. It says, The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his namesake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you are with me, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. David recognized his need for the shepherd. God provided everything he would need in his life to complete the plans God had for David. David had every, everything he needs for life and godliness. God makes me lie down in green pastures, finds our rest in him, leading him beside still waters. David's soul gets restored. We live in such a busy, busy culture that we need medications to sleep or to wake up. Our souls are restless. Our souls are agitated, wouldn't you agree? Psalm 23 reminds us of God's provision of refreshing strength crucial for everyday living. A lie that our culture tells is that you're supposed to be busy. That's statements from the culture, not from God. We make choices, don't we? We remember the story of David's life, and that's what I appreciate. The busyness that the world tries to get us away from causes the stress and so forth. But when you're being led by the Lord, he gives you everything that you need so that you can complete the missionary mission that he gave you, the journey that you've been called for. David was going through a period of disobedience. This is a word for somebody. David was convinced that Saul was going to find him and kill him. David was on the run and thought the only place to find safety was in the enemy's camp, the camp of the Philistines, which was correct. Saul didn't find him there. That season of David was a very challenging time. Isn't it challenging when you're running from where you ought to be and you're in the enemy's camp spending a little bit too much time? And the stuff that comes into your ears and your nose and your eyes and all these things affect how you make your decisions. We've got to be very careful. Anyway, the point of everything is there was a time when David and his men left and they returned to this town they were camping at. They went to battle. And when they came back, they followed David. David and his men found everything and everyone gone. They'd been raided. David and his warriors began to weep. Some of the men were so filled with sorrow and anger, they considered killing David like it was his fault. David's family was missing as well. Everyone was overcome with emotions at that time. There's a statement 
that David says that I try to remember when things are not going well, and I want to pass it on to you, my friends. In in NIV version, 1 Samuel 30, verse 6, it should be on the screen. David was greatly distressed because the men were talking of stoning him. Each one was bitter in spirit because of his sons and daughters, but David found strength in the Lord, the Lord his God. I'm going to say that again. David found strength in the Lord, the Lord his God. In other words, David turned to his shepherd, and his shepherd caused him to lie down in the green pastures and with still waters in a crazy time of distress. I want that kind of shepherd, don't you? So Jesus began to serve the crowds with teaching, and I believe meeting their needs is only he could do. The Gospel of Luke tells us what Jesus taught them. They taught them when he got out of that boat about the kingdom of God. Jesus, as a faithful shepherd, cared for their most pressing needs. He fed them the word of God. He taught them what is most important. Would this be your first method of meeting the needs of a crowd when you're tired and hungry? (laughs) Probably not. But that's the desire the Lord's placed in each of our hearts so that we can get there, so that it doesn't matter if we eat. It's about the others. That's called a you-before-me kind of faith. You-before-me. Who do you say Jesus is? Let's read further and answer that question. Verse 35, it says, And when it grew late, his disciples came to him and said this, This is a desolate place, and the hour is now late. So the disciples continue, send them away. That's their way to fix this problem. To go into surrounding countrysides and villages and buy themselves something to eat. Well, that's fair. But they're in a desolate place. There's no Kmart or 7-Eleven or anything nearby. Where are they going to get anything to eat? Jesus answers them the opposite way. You give them something to eat. Notice both the disciples and Jesus saw the need of the great multitudes of the people. The disciples' solution, and maybe our solution, was to get rid of the needs of the, by getting rid of the people. Jesus sees the other solution. Jesus hoped that they would think differently after they experienced him with him thus far. He wanted his disciples to see what he saw an opportunity to feed the people with a supernatural solution. And this happens still to this day, you guys. On the screen, you'll see the words. I want you to remember this. You feed them. When you have opportunities and people are crossing your path, you feed them. You figure it out. It's not always, well, let me get them to the church and the church will take care of them. No, that's why the church is here is where the church leadership is training and teaching you guys with the word of God and giving you opportunities to go feed the sheep. We can only feed so many. So as many that we can train, the more people that we can feed. You follow what I'm saying? So how do these men respond when he says, you feed them? Probably just like you and I, I can hear the disciples saying, feed them with what? We would have to work for months to earn the money to buy food for all these people. We must remember something. These men just went on a mission journey a missionary journey, what were the commands Jesus said to them? Don't take any food. Why? He was training them because he knew this event was coming and how quickly they forgot the instructions and what they just experienced going two by two out to go and minister. My father will take care of everything. He will provide. Not a big deal. When there are just two by two, 
can you see that Jesus is training these guys? He's their disciple maker trainer and he cranked things up and he gave them what an opportunity to trust and they missed it. Jesus asked the question of all ministry leaders when we're at that juncture. He says, we must learn to ask this. This is me. We must learn to ask, well, what do you have? What do you have? The Gospel of John says that the disciples, Andrew, Peter's brother, said, well, there's a boy here with five barley loaves and two fish. How do we feed the multitudes? Well, let me ask you all a question. What's more difficult for God, feeding two people or feeding the multitudes? It's a trick question. The answer is nothing is too difficult for our creator. There's no difference to God, but there is a difference for us. And I picked up this from reading over and over and over again. What is the difference? And I believe it's faith. Jesus is using this event to continue training the men that it's impossible to please God without faith. And nothing is impossible for God, whether God feeds one, two, or the multitudes. He's God. On the screen, truth number three, it is the power of God to provide. He's the one that's going to provide. Here's a cool thing that I learned as well. When these guys were handed the five loaves to Jesus, and he looked up and gave thanks and praise to a father, he didn't feed the multitudes. He fed the disciples. The disciples fed the people. You see how that went? That's how that works. That's our job. And I'm hoping that you will learn that God has the power to provide when you're in doing ministry. Feed the people. Sometimes our faith in our, is not put into practice and it appears weak. But trust him anyway because our Jesus is faithful. There's a verse from Philippians 4, chapter 4, verse 6. That I want to read to you guys. It's in your notes and on the screen. It says, do not be anxious for anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And then later in Philippians 4, 1, 9, he says this, another memorization verse for us when we're discipling. And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. He's saying there's a glorious, abundant supply from God. So then the man, in verse 39, I'm almost done. He commanded them to sit down in groups on the green grass. Does that sound familiar? Mark picked up on this. Psalm 23, green grass. So they sat down in groups by 150s. Not sure exactly why that is. Probably an easy way to count the people. I'm not sure why, but I know that nothing in the word of God is in there by accident. There's a reason. I don't know what that reason is right now. I'll admit that. Some of you may know that reason. I just see it like, well, if they're in 50s, I can count because there's 5,000 men and their families and their kids. Who knows how many people were there being fed by our provider? And when they were fed by our provider, on screen, you'll see the word satisfied. I want you to remember that. These guys, when they're fed by the provider, when he does his thing, we are satisfied. When we do our thing, we're not so satisfied. We keep chasing after things. Sometimes we don't get that right. Sometimes we're chasing after things that will help us provide for our own self instead of those around us. We seek to provide for us 
instead of others first. Because our faith doesn't believe he's gonna take care of us. If I spend the money here, then that means I don't have any. Oh, weak in faith. When God tells you to give, you give. And allow him then to supernaturally provide. And that's when you see a check come out of nowhere. That's when you see somebody say, hey, I wanna give you a car. Hey, I wanna do this, I wanna do that. And you're thinking, what? Well, didn't you just pray that God would provide? That's our provider. His name is Jesus. That's who I say that Jesus is today. Who do you say I am? The power to provide. That's Jesus, our shepherd. Look at how many people were fed. They had 12 baskets left over. Why did Mark write that they had 12 baskets left, baskets left over? I have two things I think. I could be wrong on this. One is those crumbs that were left over or whatever they were, pieces of bread, gives us a picture of the people. No one is going to be left behind. He's not rejecting anyone. You have to actually reject him. And number two, I think there's 12 disciples that just went out and witnessed about on their missionary journey about who Jesus is in the kingdom of God, yet they didn't have faith to provide and he filled up 12, a basket for each of them to go, I got you. When I'm gone and I'm in heaven preparing a place for you, I got you. I got your bread. I will feed you. I will provide for you because you're on my time. You're missionaries for me to make him known, right? You will be satisfied. Jesus will provide. Jesus, throughout these verses, continues to model us the faith in God, our provider, and trust in his wisdom. Then he goes up to pray. Jesus knows what's next for the night. Another storm will come upon his disciples and they will have another chance to trust God. Who can provide food, clothing, and shelter? That's our God. Why would he send them into the storm? That's another message for another time because I don't have a whole lot of time, but consider this. I can't not say this. He knows they're getting ready to go into a, a boat, into the lake, and there's going to be an incredible storm. If you read the rest of chapter 6, you would know what's going to happen. Jesus walks on the water and freaks him out. Peter gets in there and jumps in there, and all of a sudden he gets freaked out. But it's a lesson. So I'm thinking to myself, this could be a lesson for us as well. Sometimes you're in an impossible situation, and Jesus placed you there because he placed these guys in the boat. I'm not saying all the time, but don't blame the devil for everything because sometimes God is doing a work, and he wants our attention. He wants us to be created in the likeness of his son, Jesus Christ. And sometimes he takes chunks out of our flesh at a time. And sometimes he gently tender care of us like a sheep, getting us to good food and good water. And that brings me to the end of the message. And I want to share it with you guys um, through communion. Would you guys grab your cups? Some of us probably heard and are convicted in some things that I said. I know I was convicted. I spent a whole lot of time in here, you guys, and it's like, oh, Randy, you got so much to learn. <clears throat> so much faith to be built up. But God is always faithful. And he's provided for Robin and I and for our church. He's provided. He's providing for the missionary journey. He's going out from here, Costa Rica. He's providing for Germany. He's providing. He is providing. 
Are you listening? Before we take communion, Paul said there's something that we need to know because you can take communion with the wrong heart and I don't want you to do that. He says in uh, 1 Corinthians 11, verse 27, therefore, whoever eats this bread or drinks this cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. But let a man examine himself and so let him eat of the bread and drink of of the cup. For he who eats and drinks in an unworthy manner, eats and drinks judgment to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. For this reason, many are weak and sick among you and many have died. I don't know what the case is for us right now, but I do know that, like I said in the beginning, I want to take you up to the throne room of grace and mercy and I want to do it confidently because I know who he is. He's my provider. So let's just take a minute before we take it and open up the bread uh, and I'm going to pray for us. Thank you, Jesus. Your word is pure and holy and righteous. It's because of you that we can spend eternity in that same condition. But while we're here still on this earth, Lord, we're up against some things and we fail. We're not so good at it. Sometimes we have wins and sometimes we don't. But one thing we can count on is that you are fully aware of all these things. So all these needs, health, all these needs uh, financially, and all the needs to become a better disciple maker. I lift up my family to you, Lord, and those online where we are weak, you would make us strong. For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you that the Lord Jesus on the same, same night in which he was betrayed took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, take, eat, this is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's take this by faith. I think I just broke a tooth. You guys, the blood of Jesus is cleansing. I want you to know sins forgiven because of who he is not because of who you are but because of who he is he saved us for those who place their faith and trust in him he saved us from the penalty of sin it fills me with gratitude but I want to take just a moment give you silence to just confess to him in your heads and just get it right with him say God I screwed up this week you can't do a thing about yesterday on backwards, but you can do a lot for today. Probably screwed up on your way into church today, huh? <laughs> Been there, done that. Oh, Lord, we need you. Let's just pray. Oh, Father, thank you for your forgiveness. Thank you for what you've done. Thank you for your word today. It's changing me. I trust you a little bit more than I did when I first started this journey through Mark chapter 6. I pray my friends and family do as well. I pray, God, that they would remember that this cup is the new covenant of his blood. That as often as we drink it, we will remember him and what he's done for us. Father, we love you and we pray in your name. Amen. Let's drink. there will be people up here to pray with us for anyone who wants to pray 
If you come on this way, or if you want me to pray with you, I have no problem praying. This is a process. It's called sanctification. It takes a minute to get good at anything, doesn't it? But where we're struggling as disciple makers, it is my heart's desire that you become the best disciple makers possible. And that means effective by your faith being increased. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. This is our tool to increase our faith. If you're not in a Bible study, I recommend you call me and I'll get you plugged into something. If you're not in regular daily reading, my wife and my daughter use that U version. It's very, very structured for those that need structure. But you need to connect with Jesus through his word and do it by faith. Amen. I'm going to give you a blessing and then we'll be dismissed. It says, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. And the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Amen. Thank you guys for letting me uh, be here for a moment. Go and be the church.